Welcome to the Chronic Spoonful podcast, where we discuss real life with real chronic illness. Each week, we'll cover an aspect of real life spoony living and what that can mean for different chronic illnesses. We hope this will be a place you can go for updated spoony info and where you'll find humor because, you know, we're a little crazy, important information, and community. As a disclaimer, we just want to remind you that, yes, we'll be talking about chronic illness and health information, but we are not your doctor. Everyone's chronic illness is different, and we are absolutely not MDs, so we are not qualified to give you medical advice. We're going to tell you unequivocally to discuss anything we talk about on this podcast with your doctor. All right, everyone, welcome back. Uh, We have nothing new and noteworthy today because we have a very special episode to talk about MS today. Um, We have a special guest. We have Suzette with us today. And Suzette has multiple sclerosis. So she's going to do some educating for us and teaching for us and kind of give her story. And, you know, we're going to learn a little bit and have some good back and forth. So Suzette has MS and fibromyalgia, quite the combination here. Um, She teaches uh, at Resilient Flexibility, that's her mobility program for people with chronic illness. And welcome Suzette to the program. We're so excited to have you. I'm excited Uh, to be here. (laughs) Um, So tell us a little bit about your story, like how you were diagnosed, Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now. Okay, so um, oh, this is a long story. So uh, <laughs> long stories. Okay, great. Um, hopefully, it's fascinating enough to keep everybody like interested. But um, so I was, I was just minding my own business. I was thirty years old. I had three kids. I just had a baby. Just she was a few months old, and I started having issues with vision in my right eye. And uh, I, I chalked it up to us just moving from one house to another, stress, migraines. But then I woke up one day and I couldn't really see out of it at all. And it was painful and I couldn't move the eye. And um, I went to my primary and I told her my symptoms and she said, well, you need to go see an ophthalmologist. And I had no idea what that was because I had never heard the word before. But I was like, okay. I will call to make an appointment. No, you need to go to the department right now because I I was on a military base. My ex-husband was in the army. And so um, San Antonio Medical Facility was there. And she's like, you need to go to the ophthalmologist desk. You need to tell them what your symptoms are. And someone should be seeing you right away. I was really concerned um, because when somebody tells you that you need to be seen right away, it sounds like it's going to be pretty severe. So um, I went and I waited in the waiting room for about an hour. And then an ophthalmologist came out to me and he asked me again what my symptoms were. Then he took me back into the back room and um, he was really cute. Dr. Andrews. I, sorry. Doctors are fun. These cute doctors are so much fun, especially when they're really nice and funny. And he was, um, but he, he ran all the tests and um, he told me after the testing that I had optic neuritis, a demyelination of the optic nerve and that there are, in many instances, it leads to a disease called multiple sclerosis. Now, I, I heard that and I didn't know what that meant. I had no idea. 
I'm the type of person that I, if I find out something new exists, I delve deep into research. And so that evening I went home and, you know, I looked, this is, looked at the statistics and I went ahead and saw a neurologist and I, I, I thought, I, I told myself, you know what, this is just going to be one episode of alpineuritis, like some people get, and then I'll be fine. So you, um, you looked at it and saw something positive and you didn't go down the Google rabbit hole of, I'm going to like have the worst do scenario. <laughs> I don't do that. Oh, my wow. mom was, well, my mom was like that. And so okay. there are, there are aspects of my parents that I just didn't want to embody okay. as an adult. So I, I fought and like, this is like therapy and reconditioning and like, um, basically changing the way your mindset like works. So when I research, I research for the sole purpose of how can I utilize this information to empower my decisions? That's a great mindset. Yes. And, and that's how I went into this. And so, um, I, saw my neurologist. He tried to do a spinal tap on me, but unfortunately I have issues with the bundle of nerves back there. So it didn't work out. Um, and he's like, well, you haven't really had any of the symptoms. You haven't, you know, this might just be a one-off chance and will, and my MRI was clean. Like other than the optic neuritis, I didn't have anything else going on with my brain or my spine. So we let it be. And that was July of 2012, December there I am minding my own business. I'm carrying my daughter and I suddenly lose feeling in part in my left side. And I fall oh. and I'm like holding her and that I couldn't hold the phone in my hands. Oh, no. And I'm sitting on the toilet and I'm, I had to call my husband at the time, my, and he's on his way to go for training. Cause he's going to be deployed. They had to take him off the bus. And cause I was in the, I went to the ER and I had all the tests that run. And at first, because it was left-sided issues, they immediately put me in a cardiac unit, which I just thought was right. ridiculous. I'd have a monitor on me. But at the end of the day, I was like, oh, you know what? At least I know my heart is healthy. Um, <laughs> but when they MRI'd my brain, so it's it's kind of a funny story because I, like I said, I, I try to use information to empower myself. So a lot of times when I receive news about my health, I'm like, how can I make this better? Um, I, I laugh because I've done the same thing with like blood work and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, well, at least I know my cholesterol is fine. Um, oh, well, at least I know, you know, at I'm least I know. functioning okay. Right. <laughs> exactly. So my, um, the neuro neurologist I had seen previously came into the room and he, he looked at me, he sat down and he looks at me and he holds my hand. He's like, Suzette, you have MS. And I was like, yeah, Miss Dr. Robinson, I'm pretty sure I had MS. I knew it. Now I know what I have. I'm good. <laughs> but he looked like his puppy just died like that day. I, Because I didn't understand the implications. That's the thing. I didn't understand the entire life change that this was going to entail. So I looked at how I was just like, oh, I just, you know, I'm ready to start doing all the things that I can do to like make myself feel better and do the things and be Jack Osborne, you know, like, you know, other MS people that you see celebrities that are able to just live their life. Um, Cause they have millions of dollars and all they support. Millions of dollars exactly. <laughs> and doctors at their beck and call. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, I, I, 
apparently like my husband at the time had stopped at a stop red light and bawled his eyes out. And then he told me about it. And I was like, Oh, honey, it's going to be okay. So when I, yeah, when I got home, I rested for a little bit and then I'm like, well, I'm living my life. So I booked a, a trip to Spain and I decided to do a four city tour in a week. Wow. Because oh <laughs> well, I, your life. <laughs> I'm going to live with this disease. I'm going to make the most out of it. I had a relapse after I got back. And <laughs> like, I can imagine. <laughs> well, apparently when you have MS, you should sleep regularly and you shouldn't eat certain types of foods all the time. And um, you know, apparently stress takes a really huge toll. I didn't know this. So we were, we went to, we went to Madrid, we went to Sevilla, we went to Barcelona, we went to Rome. He was in the army. We had some money back then. We could do that stuff. And and I was, I was intent on doing as much as I could before the the real symptoms showed up. Right. I, at least that's what I felt like. And um, and no, I, I learned a really hard lesson right after that. And so um it, it's 2012, so it's going to be what, nine years now. And in yeah. nine years, I've been constantly learning. It's It's been a nine-year journey of understanding my body and becoming more aware. And um, the first thing I did, honestly, the first thing that came to my mind was I need to learn as much as I can so I could advocate for myself when I go see a doctor, when I see a specialist. There were times where steroids were recommended in like in the hospital IV and I would bring up studies showing how oral steroids would be shown to be just as effective. And because it let me stay at home, it was better for me, for my mental health. And, um, and they'd look at the studies and they'd be like, okay, you're right. Look, we're going to change protocol because what information you brought in. Um, I enrolled myself in health sciences at ASU, Arizona State University, and I bought every book I possibly could to help me understand how to read studies, how to understand them, how to like, like know when they're not very well done, whether it's very, like the control group isn't big enough or they have bias. Um, I, I became highly obsessed. I still am. I'm still highly obsessed with understanding um, how, how scientific evidence is, is um, obtained and how to decipher it in a way that can help increase my quality of life. And so um, I also started taking that, um, a personal training certification. And so I got my personal training certificate through the National Academy of Sports Medicine um, in 2013. And I started training for half marathons. I started running. I actually started, well, the funny thing is, is like I had left-sided weakness and drop foot in my left foot. And I had to use a cane for a while. At one point, a, a physical therapist came up to me and brought a walker. And I said, not, no, not over my dead body. Over my dead body, am I going to touch that walker? I will rather hobble on my own or with the cane. It's a pride thing. It's a pride thing. Honestly, like I should have had, it would have been nice to have a little seat to sit in and then something to hold my, because at the end of the day, these devices are meant to actually like help us. You can get a cane with the seat. Yeah. Huh? You can get a cane with you the seat. You can get it. Okay. Yeah. That's going to happen at some point. Luckily, I haven't really needed it as of late. 
I ran two half marathons and my leg would be dragging behind me, whatever. I barely made cutoff time, but I still got the medal. And I was, sometimes I was like shaking, like tremors would pop up and people would be like, are you okay? And I'm like, I have a mess. It'll go away once I'm cool down. It'll be fine. And then we moved to Colorado and that's when I started utilizing cannabis to help treat my symptoms. So my symptoms were optic neuritis in the right eye, left-sided weakness, tremors, vertigo. Um, And then I started having issues with my speech. And so I went, I started, I started Capaxin as soon as I was diagnosed. And I switched to Tecfidera once I started having speech issues. And unfortunately, the Tecfidera caused me to have infections, just repeated infections. I was in bed for a month. And so I took myself off of it and I went and had an MRI and it looked like my MS was stable. So I went a year without medication and my MS was still stable. So I went paleo. Like this was 2016. I decided, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to not being on meds, but I'm going to try to do it as um, like the right way as possible. And so I went paleo, fully, 100% committed. I started pole dancing. I started tr- like training, like really hard. And it's the first time I ever really felt my body be able to do things like that. Uh, I really wasn't fit until after I got diagnosed with MS. I, the same year that I started learning pole dance, like I ran my first Spartan race and it was so much fun. Oh my God. I ran it with an Emma sister of mine. And the idea was we're going to have fun. We're not going to make this race. It was Spartan. You could pretty much take the whole day to like run the race. You just have fun doing obstacles and you can skip the obstacles if you don't, if you, if you don't think that you can do them. So I would skip them. Uh, I'd be hobbling and shaking, but I was still like climbing over 10 foot walls. It was amazing. So um, that's when I was like, I'm going to do a trifecta. So the way that Spartan does it is they have different level courses. So they got like three to five miles. They've got like 10 to 50 miles. And then, oh wait, no, that's the middle one is five to eight miles. And then they have like 10 to 15 mile beasts. If you do all three, so if you do a sprint, super and a beast, you get a trifecta and I'm competitive. So I told <laughs> myself one race isn't enough. I'm going to do three and I'm going to train for a marathon and I'm going to learn how to pole dance. 2017 was my year. I felt great. I was strict paleo. I felt amazing. I, I, um, I ran, I ran a beast with, with my best friend, Amy, who also has MS. And then the next day we ran a sprint up the same mountain. So oh. we did 13 miles one day, 13 and a half miles one day. And when we did five and a half miles the next day. Oh my gosh. And so I, I had ran these races and 2017 was also a very interesting year for me outside of my physical fitness and all the fun stuff I was doing. Um, my husband, the previous year had invited his friend, his, one of his best friends to kind of, cause all right, let me just rewind this a little bit. So I have this tendency to be very like non-filter. And, and even with my then husband, um, I would be like, oh, he's fine. Oh, she looks <laughs> good. I objectified people and I was that creep, um, but only to him. Like he didn't care. So when this hot friend of his like on social media and I'm like, oh, we're going to be friends too. And he's Puerto Rican. He lives in New York. 
I kept telling him, oh, John, he's good looking. Oh, is he, when's he going to come visit? I just joking. I was just joking. But then he decided to like really like seriously ask him if he'd enjoy being a part of this, the duo. So the duo mm-hmm. became a trio. And um, I went to New York five times in 2017. Wow. To this man to come and live with us. And um, oh, yeah. And so we became a poly triad. And one of the things concerning MS that I learned about travel is that I can't just willy-nilly take a trip and do a bunch of things. So when I started when I started going to New York in 2017, five years later, I had learned bring my cane every time I go to the to the airport, whether or not I need it. I need to bring it with me. I, I bought a travel, like a foldable cane with me. I started like researching like travel items that are really useful for people with chronic disease. And I still have, I still utilize a bunch of them, like easy fold up things that don't require a lot of like jiggling around movement, like certain book bags that can hold certain things like with a cooler if I had my Capaxin at the time. And then I would schedule things in a way that made it so that I wasn't flying into places too late and I wasn't have to, having to get up too early in the morning and I would pay extra to just fly closer to where I live. So I didn't have to drive too far out of the way. And this may travel difficult sometimes, you know, New York is not the most accommodating to disabled people, unfortunately. But every chance that I got, every tool I could utilize, I did to make my trips easier and so I would find that I was feeling actually pretty great most of the time when I traveled and so I the last the fifth time we came back together and he stayed here and that's when I got pregnant for the fourth time yeah well we made it was a conscious decision like as soon as he moved there we were gonna have one more like he was gonna have his first child and I actually got an MRI. I just want to make sure I was okay and I was healthy and ready to go. And I was, and no progression up to this point either. And I got pregnant like that because I'm Puerto Rican. Some of us <laughs> just need that way. I feel so bad for people with tr- infertility problems, but if you look at me the wrong way, I am pregnant. These tubes are coming out for no more. Anyway, I got pregnant like that. And so I decided to do a midwife. I I didn't even bring this up. I forgot. The second time that I went to the hospital for my relapse, the new practicing nurse accidentally pushed a whole thing of solumedrol and it's supposed to do an hour drip because it's a thousand oh milligrams and it could stop your heart. So guess who ended up in the cardiac unit again? But this oh, time, not wow. my fault. Oh yeah, that was fun. So oh. I ended up with... I ended up with medical PTSD. And so I decided that I was not going to go to a hospital. I was not going to give birth in a hospital. I was not going to go to an OBGYN. I got a midwife and um, August, I had August 26th, 2018. No, August 20th. I'm sorry. My my almost 12 year olds is August 26th. I got too many. I can't even keep track of their birthdays. Somebody needs to take a couple off my hands. They know how to cook some of them and they can clean. So I had my baby and I had a natural birth, like in in a pole. Like I I had my pole up too. So I was able to use that sucker for like hold on to it. Hold on to it. Awesome. 
so, you know, I actually had the best pregnancy I ever had because I was so healthy. I was eating so healthy. Like afterwards, I felt fine. I very fortunate. I don't end up with postpartum depression. My concern was there's a high risk of women having major relapses directly after giving birth. And that's when my last week, my first, very first, first, first symptom showed up where a few months after I had my third child. So I put myself on keto and, oh yeah, I actually did really great. I I went back into pole dancing. I got certified to teach liquid motion 1.0, 2.0 and heels. I could teach you how to dance in eight inch heels if you want. Oh yeah. I, I, um, I did a showcase where I got to like show my floor work. I became really advanced at what I do, which was, um, oh my God, I love it. I love the fact that my body could do all these amazing things in spite of the hurdles I have to jump over at times for me it's worth it to do the extra to get to where I wanted to be. Me and my then husband were having some serious problems and it just got so bad that I asked him to leave. I asked for a divorce and that was at the end of 2018 and he moved out and I went and saw my neurologist again. And I said, and this was a new guy. Now this is my old neurologist left and I had to see somebody new. And I said, I'm really concerned. I'm going through this really stressful period of time. And, oh, and this was no, this was 2019. So it'd been like a couple of years already at the end of 2019. I need like, let's MRI. And, but I want to be put on a, I want to be put on something because I'm afraid like, this is a lot. I haven't felt this much stress in a long time. Well, he called me up with my MRI results and said that I don't have any new lesions. It's been five years since I had a new lesion that he was comfortable not putting me on anything. January, it turns out I went six months with a torn ACL that I made worse by dancing on it. And then I tore my meniscus on top of it. And it got so bad. I was in so much excruciating pain. They did emergency surgery on me. They repaired my meniscus and my ACL January of 2020. Now, let me tell you the time that I was able to actually start taking off the brace and do the things a little bit. The pandemonium hit, like the pancetta decided to show up and ruin well, sort of, our lives in the middle of this high-conflict divorce. So um, I'm going to physical therapy. I'm homeschooling children for the first time <laughs> Yeah, We are yeah. all in the same house all the oh. time, and it was snowing. Oh. And we couldn't really go out and do things. There was a lot of heavy drinking happening. I'm not going to even be ashamed about that because we all had to cope somehow with this new reality that was super scary, especially to people with chronic diseases who have to then think about how catching COVID is going to affect them. And then studies were coming out showing how people with MS were more likely to have severe symptoms, where like relapses were happening after they got sick and the inflammation. I mean, MS is one of those things where inflammation is the word of the day every single day. You want to control inflammation because that's what causes your symptoms. So there's demyelination, you know, the immune system attacks the myelin sheath. But then after that, you have this stupid little scar there. And as long as you don't like poke the bear and inflame it, you're kind of okay. Right. But anything from catching a virus to the foods that you eat to um, uh, amount of stress to having kids can increase your inflammation. And it was June of 2020. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, there's a black dot in my left eye in the vision. There's a black dot like 
what's what's going on here? What's going on? I'm rubbing it. I'm rubbing it. I'm rubbing it. And a couple of days later, it's still there. So I decide to make an appointment with the ophthalmologist. They look at it and it's, they're like, it looks like there's inflammation there. It looks like it might be optic neuritis, but you have to get an MRI. You get, and I was like, okay. I was so upset that my last neurologist did not put me on disease modifying drug that I found myself a new neurologist closer to town. And she immediately MRI'd me and she's like, I not only had the new optic neuritis in the other eye, because it started off in my right eye and then I had it in my left. And so I was having issues with both my eyes. I also had multiple new lesions, multiple, like they couldn't count them. I went from having three lesions and one of them being my optic, optic nerve to having multiple throughout my, my brain. I, I, my best friend, Amy, I'm going to bring her up a lot because she's just influenced so many amazing things in my life. She started Ocrevus as soon as it came, was FDA approved. Like she was at, she was in Stanford getting Ocrevus like 2017, 2018, something like that. And she's been able to do so many, not many amazing things while on this drug. She's getting her doctorate right now. She runs multiple Spartan races. She does, um, she does, um, occupational therapy like she's and she has she's a mom uh she's and she has ms and she's a beast she's a beast and so I, I was like asking her questions about it I was doing my own research I had other friends who were on it and they're telling me how amazing it was for them and so in spite of being in the middle of a pandemic I decided to put myself on an immunosuppressant drug because everything that I saw showed that it would help reduce my progression it would help reduce the symptom severity. And I was afraid of going blind. So I told her, she's like, your kids can't go to school. Like until they're vaccinated, they can't go to school because you're on this drug. Okay. I will, I will homeschool them. I will, I will, (laughs) let me tell you, there are a lot of people who hated the pandemonium, pandemonium, the pandemic, I'll call it by its real name, the COVID pandemic. Um, they, it ruined their life. It, and I feel for those people, but the pandemic was good to me because suddenly things that weren't accessible suddenly became accessible. Telehealth. I didn't have to leave my house to see a doctor. So even if I didn't feel very good, I could see my therapist. I could see my doctor. I could, I could have my groceries delivered and food stamps. I could use those to have food brought to my house. I didn't have to leave. I would have loved that before the pandemic, but unfortunately that's what happened, had to happen. On top of that, the stimulus, oh my God, I was able to buy my kids books. I was able to buy my kids computers. I was able to like, like purchase things that I was just not able to before. And mind you, I don't qualify for disability because I spent 10 years as a stay-at-home mom. I, my work credits expired. So now I have to have income for five years, a certain amount, just to be able to, to qualify for disability. So I, hopefully in three years, I'll be able to apply. And so I've been able to, I've been able to put something down to show the IRS, like, hey, I'm making money somehow. But the pandemic, I didn't care that I had no B cells after my infusion because I didn't want to go blind and I didn't want to suddenly have other issues 
with my body. I, I'm a mom of four kids. I need to do the things and not just that for my own mental health. I'm just the type of person that sees life as a humongous playground, you know, it's just an opportunity to grow and to learn and to experience all these different experiences. And sometimes they don't go your way, you learn the lessons. And sometimes you do and you end up with these core memories that just add value to your life. And that's, that's how I want to live. And so no matter what kind of obstacle gets in my way, I try to find a tool that's going to help increase my quality of life to get me over that obstacle or help me adjust and manage it so that I could just live a better life, not just for myself, but also for my kids so that they can see that you might have struggles. You might, you're going to have suffering. Everybody has their own brand but there are things you can do so that you don't have to live in that space forever. Definitely. And so that's how I've been living my life. So I started Ocrevus and my, I just had my second infusion um, a couple weeks ago and it's been a drastic change. It's been like better vision. It's been um, better mobility. It's been not as severe like symptoms when it's hot or when I'm stressed. And it's also been peace of mind that even if I eat something wrong, it's not gonna mess me up. Or even if I have a lot of stress on my plate, it's not gonna, it's not gonna make my, my MS worse. Oh yeah, resilient flexibility. I now yeah. I remember I have to talk about resilient flexibility because it's one of those tools that I decided to use to help. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I got into pole dancing. I got my certifications. In in spite of having a brace for my thigh all the way down to my ankle, I was still doing mobility drills. And so my best friend Amy. <laughs> She's, I'm telling her. Uh, we I'm all telling need you. that best friend. We all need that best friend who pushes we up. We all need this best friend yeah. who does, who just adds so much value to your life that you just feel like you're loved, that you're yeah. smothered in love. And that's how I feel with yes. Amy. So right after I had my fourth child, I lost my flexibility, my bendiness. I could do the splits and stuff, but I couldn't do them anymore. And I asked her, what are the stretches? Give me all the stretches. Because she's an occupational therapist. And when it comes to movement, she's oh, a master. And she's, she tells me straight up, there are no stretches. Stretches won't make you more flexible. It's all in your brain. And your brain is what controls range of motion. Here are some drills. And she was here. She came to visit from California. And she is my, my son's guide mother. And during, like, because of the ceremony, she came to visit. She was able to in-person teach me so many joint rotational mobility drills. Wow. Like, yeah, she shared all the knowledge that she gained through these certifications. And these certifications are super expensive. I have not been able. Z Health Performance, though, is amazing because they actually tell people like movements controlled by the brain. If you actually train the brain, you can you can enhance your performance. And I started applying that to flexibility. My first honestly, it was like, I might teach pole dancers how to be flexible. And you know, a lot of people on TikTok were eating it up but then I realized a lot of these really easy rotational mindful movement like we're rotating finger joints we're rotating wrists we're rotating elbows is beneficial for people with chronic disease because a lot of people don't feel like they have access to exercise because they think they have to go to a gym and they have to pump the weights and they have to like do the cardio and it's really really hard and for me exercise is just movement And it doesn't matter if you can wiggle your toes and that's it. 
wiggle your toes, then try to wiggle your foot, then move on and try to wiggle your ankle. But for me, there's always a way of progressive adaptation to get people from their starting point, a tolerable starting point to then progress so that they can reach goals. They probably maybe never thought that they, they could reach before. And so I started formulating this program with the intent of how do we reduce chronic pain utilizing neurological drills that help calm the brain and reduce those threat signals that cause our muscles to feel tension and cause our muscles to feel uh, sore or, um, you know, sometimes you have muscle knots and they cause you pain. And honestly, there's science says they can't pinpoint what a muscle knot is. Like there's no scientific evidence that they exist Mm -hmm. and you cannot manipulate fascia because it's as strong as steel. What you can do is mobilize the area, start adding a little bit more load to it, or even vision and vestibular drills. These drills are are made to take into account the fact that our brain receives input from all our senses, and then it dictates how we're going to move. And so we, our brains are survival, survival. That's number one. Second is movement. And so if you put quality input into your brain. If you, if you give it quality um, movement, like mindful movement, it, the more, uh, by the way, plasticity is a thing. So the brain can grow and make new connections. So the brain, the brain has plasticity. Mindfulness has been scientifically shown to increase neural connections. And these mobility drills are mindful. We have trying to make perfect circles. Or we're sitting there really focusing on a thumb and the thumb where it's moving and we're either moving our head with it or where our head is staying stationary and we're tracking it with our eyes, but even walking, like walking and scanning the ground, making sure you don't fall is calming because it's calming to the brain because it's, it's giving the brain good information about what's going on in your environment. And so I've taken all these these concepts and these philosophies and strength training is one of the best ways of becoming more flexible. That's what science shows, you know, not stretching, not rolling it out. It's strength training. So instead of, you know, stretches are good. Like within my program, we do hold stretch for like five seconds because it feels good. It feels good. But when we're really actively working on making ourselves more flexible or more mobile, we're going to add load. And so we're either going to add load by doing body weight exercises that increase a little bit of weight to your, to your muscles and your joints, or we're going to add resistance bands, or then we're going to move on to kettlebells and weights. But you, everybody has the potential to be more than what they are. And And literally all it is, is our bodies can heal and they can adapt and habituation is like the frog in hot water. Like you can start tolerating more and more and more. You just have to poke the bear, but not poke it too hard that it bites your head off, you know? And the more you poke the bear and let it acclimate to that, the more the bear can take. So the more your body can take and the more you can end up doing Yes. Wow. I mean, EDS patients, a lot of them know about poking the bear and biting the head off because a lot <laughs> of us end up stiff instead of flexible. We go from being hyper flexible, like hyper mobile, mm-hmm. to being like super arthritic. I can't 
move anymore. That's why the test is like the test is not, can you bend your finger back? It's, have you ever been able to bend your finger back? Have you ever been able to do this? Because I have a, I have a student with EDS. Bite the head off the bear. Yeah. I have a student who with EDS and it seems like she's bitten the bear, like the bear's bitten the head off a couple of times. And so now we're working on back mobility and she's just got a stiff back and she's got, she had thoracic outlet syndrome. And so um, she recovered from that, but now we're working on enhancing thoracic mobility, you know? Yeah, it's true. A lot of people think EDS, you're super flexible. Felix Kane is one of the top pole dancers in the world. And people are like, how do you get your legs to do that? She's like, well, I have a condition and because she is, she trains it, she trains it, she trains it. So she's hyper flexible. Like she's, it's crazy. So, um, but with, so I have a question about MS and, and this, and, um, so when you're, when you're working with, um, MS patients and the resilient flexibility, so you're focused on motion because this is a neurological issue. Mm-hmm. So you're, so when you're talking about walking and, and focusing, how does that help MS patients when they come to your program? So right now I have one private student who has MS and she is also a pole dancer. And, um, so we do, we do a lot of strength training and flexibility stuff because she wants to do headstands and she wants to do splits and she wants to, um, which I've been able to help her get some of this stuff like down and shoulder rolls because she had immobility in her neck. Um, what I do with her that more that, that I don't do with the other able body folk quote, quote, um, is the neurological drills. So the neurological drills help reduce chronic pain. A lot of time, chronic pain is threat, 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 threat. Our brain is, is just sending threat and there there's tissue damage, obviously. Um, so some of it is physiological. We just going to have to manage it with, with certain things. Um, but some of it is, is even our own perception of pain and how we feel about it and our knowledge about it. So studies have even shown that you have a more understanding like pain, about pain in itself, like that'll actually help even decrease your pain. And so these neurological drills, not just help reduce threat, but they also help strengthen vision. And when it comes to vision and also your vestibular system, so your balance is controlled by your inner ear and then your vision. And so vestibular ocular, the vestibular ocular drills that I'd run my students through um, help strengthen those areas. So that means better balance, better vision, less falling. Sometimes also what this does, increase quality input like vestibular and visual drills, joint, mindful joint mobility drills, help strengthen other movement maps. So it'll actually help overall increase your mobility and help your movement become better. That's awesome. That is awesome. That is incredible. So this is some information that I had to put out there. So let's, let's let's take a real big step back. Um, real big step back. Cause we're, we're talking about, you know, the, the neurological stuff and we're talking about all this, but we haven't really explained what MS is to anybody who's listening. (laughs) 
Okay. I did delve into the demyelination of the you did. You did. central nervous system a little bit. Okay. And, and we kind of talked about it being neurological and we kind of like, it's, it's little bits and pieces, but let's put all that together for, for people who've been listening. Um, like just, just what, what the, what the disease is and, and, and how it affects the body. So multiple sclerosis is a disease where the immune system attacks the myelin sheath of the central nervous system. So our nerves um, are covered. Well, some of them, some of them aren't even covered, but it's an anatomy lesson you don't need. Um, some of them are covered by a fatty sheath called myelin. This myelin actually helps um, like electrical impulses, like travel faster. And um, the nerves that are covered in myelin happen to um, control a lot, a lot of bodily functions. And so when our immune system decides to cross the blood brain barrier, and right now they're thinking that it's the B cells that are doing it, it leaves us this nasty scar behind because it eats away and then there's a scar and the scarring is what contributes to our symptoms and inflammation of that scar is what makes our, our symptoms really, really pop up. These, these, this demyelination shows up as lesions on an MRI. And most of the time when it comes to, um, when it comes to diagnoses, a doctor will do an O-band test with a spinal tap. So to see if there's little cells called O's, they look like O-bands. Um, and then they'll do run an MRI of the brain and the spine to see if there are lesions. So they look like white spots. A lot of people have a very difficult time getting a correct diagnosis because um, either MRI, an MRI isn't ordered and they're trying to just go off of blood work and like symptoms, like, like communicating what the symptoms are. And a lot of doctors just don't want to outright say multiple sclerosis is a life-changing disease. It is an expensive disease. My, my meds, I think, cost like 60000 a year. And luckily, I'm on Medicaid. They're covered. Okay. But a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to be able to like even afford a copay. So I'll, they're hesitant in putting that, that diagnosis out there. Unfortunately, a lot great forward uh, symptom progression as I had. Optic neuritis is one of those things that it could be maybe two other things like transverse myelitis, um, but, or just a one-off because there, there are versions of MS where you get one relapse and then nothing else happens for the rest of your life. That was not me. Well, aren't those people lucky? I know they are, they are lucky, but still, I mean, in itself, a symptom of MS is still suffering and so, and then you never know, like, once you have it one time, like, do well, you yeah. get it again? So you're constantly living with that. You know. fear. Yeah, it is. That, that is kind of a constant fear. But. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, there, there are drugs to help modify the disease and help reduce the progression and help reduce the symptom severity in there. So those are disease modifying drugs, like like a, every other day injection, Copaxone helps modulate the T cells. Um, then we have things like Tecfidera, which is a fumarate, acetylfumarate, I think that's what it's called. Anyway, it's supposed to help reduce inflammation. Um, then we have um, these infusion, like uh, Tisabri. Tisabri is a once a month infusion. And then we have Ocrevus, which is every six months. And then this other medicine, and I forgot what it's called, but it starts with a K and it's very much like Ocrevus, but it's an oral medication that is mailed to you. And then there are um, additional 
you know, pharmaceuticals and my help with symptom management. I tried like six of them and I hated them all. Um, but I get nerve blocks for my occipital neuralgia, which demyelination of the occipital nerve makes you feel like you're being stabbed in the side of your face. Mm. Yeah, it's, and so nerve blocks in the occipital nerve actually put steroids there to reduce the inflammation. And I go three months without having attacks. So that's wonderful. That's out there. Mm-hmm. You suffer with this pain. Please talk to your doctor about possibly doing a nerve block. I also take baclofen um, at night. It helps me sleep. It helps me not tremor. It helps me not muscle spasm. Um, so I take it every night. And then on top of that, I utilize cannabis. I actually grow my own uh, marijuana and I use it for everything from fatigue to uh, insomnia, to pain, to spasticity. Uh, there are strains that can help with basically any kind of symptom that you have. And so that's just a nice little like add-on to eating healthy and mobilizing as much as I can, whether it is intense kettlebell exercise or gentle rotational mobility drills, because my body just doesn't feel very good. Um, Either way, movement is medicine. I really believe it. And if you can get yourself moving on a regular basis and you poke in that bear, your tolerance goes up and you can do a little bit more every time that you go at it. Also, (laughs) I have to say, I'm going to start growing psilocybin because microdosing with shrooms, psilocybin, has, has been shown not only to affect mental health very positively, like PTSD, depression, anxiety, but it also helps with pain. Sometimes weed just doesn't touch it. Nope. Sometimes the baclofen won't do it, but a dose, a microdose, of psilocybin will completely remove the pain away. It's the only thing that makes it go away completely. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited that Denver has decriminalized it. Denver's like an hour from me. Um, and so that means that hopefully it's going to be coming down here and we're going to be, but I'm going to start growing it myself to use medicinally microdose um, every other day or so. I'm not looking to get psychoactive effects from it though. Hey, I might want to experience it out in the desert sometime, maybe with like a cool <laughs> topless because I like to live life on the edge. Love it. <laughs> Just to see what it's like, but honestly, microdosing, like doing like 0. 0.1 to 0. 0.25 yeah. grams is something that has just trem- it tremendous tremendously impacts the studies the studies on it are the studies that are coming out on microdosing are amazing oh and yeah if anyone wants to start diving diving into looking at at the studies on the psychedelics right now it's phenomenal oh yeah it's incredible what they what they've come up with yeah. it, and it's helping oh, like so- even drug addicts recover from drug yep. addiction it's huge it has huge potential Okay, so it pubmed.gov, P-U-B-M-E-D.gov. Type in magic mushroom or psilocybin. Psilocybin. Psilocybin um, effects on or psilocybin depression, psilocybin PTSD. So, and you'll see all the studies and you go down to the conclusion. It'll tell you like what what was concluded from that study and there are so many out there like really supporting they're supporting evidence of the positive effects like the positive things that 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 psilocybin can do i mean we have receptors 
like just like we have endocannabinoid receptors in our mm-hmm. brain to receive cannabis, we have we have um, receptors in our brain to receive psilocybin. So, so tell us a little bit. You know, we we talked a little bit about you know different treatments that are out there. When people go to get diagnosed, a lot some people really. You said that doctors are hesitant to diagnose, but also there's misdiagnoses for MS. What are, what are some of the misdiagnoses that you've heard of or seen for people and how can they hurt people in the long term? Let's, let's say you have a doctor that doesn't fully evaluate you the way they should and misdiagnoses you. When it comes to MS, most of the time, misdiagnosis comes in the form of lupus or mm-hmm. Lyme disease um, or like transverse myelitis, which is a little more serious. There's also Devic's disease, I think, where, um, was it the cerebellum that has, don't quote me on this, I think it's where the cerebellum, anyway, um, (laughs) there are multiple diseases that resemble multiple sclerosis, but there, the thing is, is like, if, if you have a neurologist that is truly competent and willing to do the appropriate testing, you can get a solid MS diagnosis the thing is is that our healthcare system is just is fucked up it's the only yes, way it i could describe it, it it really is it's a foundational it starts from the very bottom like everything about our healthcare system is made to just profit it's not made to help people it's not made to make them feel better why do i have to become an advocate for myself why do i have to tell my doctors like hey I think oral meds, oral steroids are better than IV ones. Here are the studies for them to then do give me that. Why don't they already have that information? And it's because it's, it's a, it's a profit system and capitalism is just, I have very strong negative feelings towards capitalism. And and it's really because I've seen so many people with chronic disease just suffer at the hands of capitalism. And the fact that we can't be as productive individuals, we cannot make the money, we cannot hustle. Oh my God, hustle has to be out of my vocabulary, 100%. Like (laughs) there's no Mm -hmm. hustle. Some days there's a little bit more of doing the things because I feel better. But then other days I'm just like, I think I'm just gonna sit here and look at my flowers and that's it. (laughs) Some days that's all you can do. And that's yes. not really, that's why. Yeah. But some days you need to tell yourself to do that because you have to rest more often. You have Absolutely. to take those moments when you can, because you have to kind of refill the cup. So I feel like able-bodied people have a cup and they can fill it and it stays pretty like full. We got fucking holes stuck in our cup. Yes. We got holes stuck in our cup and we're constantly like, and if we don't feel it constantly, mm-hmm. we're not making sure that all the details of our life, when yeah. it comes to food or sleep or how yes. much energy we spend doing chores or taking care of children, or we run empty and then we can't do anything. That's right. That's yeah. right. We're down for the count then. We're oh down. Gosh, yeah. And sometimes and, and we're down for days. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah. When I, when I overdo it's days, it's not a day. It is days or a week or weeks. Overdoing doesn't have to be that much. I was texting Nicole. All it was, was staying out for half an hour too long in the heat. That's it. That's all I did. I was down for the count. I was down for the count for a day and a half. Or 
one night I just really had a hard time sleeping. And so I only got like four or five hours of sleep. I was in bed the rest of the day. Yes. There was, I couldn't, my body was like, well, girl, you're not going to be able to talk today. I'm sorry. Your left leg isn't going to work today either. So you might as well stay where you are. And I've had to cancel plans. I've had to cancel appointments. I've had to, which is another reason why I love the pandemic because I didn't have to worry about any of that. And I was able to go through a high conflict divorce without having to really socialize or pretend like I was okay or like really. So what I did is I would focus my energy on making videos to help people do these mobility drills at home. And I tried to make it as accessible as I could. And then um, earlier this year with resilient, I'm going to go back to that a little bit. Um, I had the opportunity to really monetize. And I started, I was like, oh, I had a mentor like, oh yeah, you should put classes out there. This is great. And I was like, classes, money. Then I realized, oh, I have MS. (laughs) No, I can't just run classes on a weekly schedule like that. Like my body don't do that. So I... I got to a point where I went ahead and put, I, I record videos. I, I have subtitles too. And, um, and I do all levels. I do everything from very, very beginner to advanced. We're doing inversions. We're doing handstands and stuff. And I put it on my YouTube and I made it free. And so you have access to that. So if you can't afford to take a class like in private with me, you can go onto YouTube, access these workouts and hit me up if you need a modification. If you have any questions about anything, I make it so that I am accessible to whomever. And we'll make sure, and we'll make sure the link is in our show notes and um, in the social media stuff that we post. So we'll make sure we link to you on, on everything. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, I think, I I think that's great. And I think, I love that you also offer private sessions with people because that some people need that extra help Mm -hmm. with modifications, with, you know, extra notes, extra, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. Like, I I love watching videos, but I'm like, and how am I supposed to twist that way? I don't, my body's not working. And so this is why like, Anybody who's using my free material can contact me on any of my social media sites and mm-hmm. ask me questions for free. Like, I don't mind sitting there, but my hour long privates, I do charge uh, because it's, you know, totally I, understandable I, as you should, I, as you should, yeah, it is a commodity. And I spend a lot of time and I spend many years putting time, effort, and money into learning. Absolutely. The and, so. and, that, and that's a note to anyone out there that, that is, has commodities and has a skill and wants to do their own business. No one should ever be afraid to, to charge for their services. <laughs> like we all have to live. We have to, um, we have to live. And when, you know, I, when I do my videos, it's when I have free time and when my body's feeling really, really good. But when I do my privates, it's whenever, like, I just have free time, but I'm not exactly sure is my body going to cooperate? Like how much more effort do I have to put into training today? And, and then, you know, you do get a one-on-one, you do get like extra tailored individualized training with me. And right now I'm working with students that have chronic disease, but they want to expand their movement horizons. And I'm helping them do that safely. And in a way that accommodates any, any of their disabilities, and abilities because some of them can do some crazy stuff that I, I can't even do. So everybody, it, I think it's a nice balance. Everybody's different. And so it's a nice balance. So you can't afford, I have this one avenue that you can go towards. 
Um, but if you can, yeah, I'm here. And uh, so I, I just want to ask though, like, you know, a lot of people get the diagnosis of MS and, and it's, it's a, it's, it's a difficult road. Like, you know, you talk about, you talk, like, I think, I think some of Blair talked about it. She, she had a really hard time at first dealing with it. She kind of hid a little bit. She wasn't sure. I mean, and this is someone who was in the spotlight and was a very vibrant young star. And I think that's a very difficult transition to make when your body isn't working the way it was before. And, and some people just, it gets very depressing for them and it gets very difficult. So can you talk a little bit to how about like, just give some advice for people about how to make that transition into something positive because you, okay. you seem like you're very positive about your not like, always positive about your diagnosis, <laughs> but like you, you have a positive outlook. I do have a positive outlook, but I've had depression, especially, and I've had depression because of, um, and whew, the first year I couldn't talk to anybody with MS. I, it's funny because on Instagram, I actually posted, this is my first MS sister and um, I posted her, her profile, but she hit me up. Elaine would hit me up and then I wouldn't hit, like, I wouldn't call back. I didn't really want to know. I was, um, I was in denial and I didn't want to see what everybody else was going through. Cause I'm like, that's not going to be me. <laughs> and so <laughs> um, that was a mistake. Cause honestly, the, 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 the way that I got myself out of, um, so there were times where my body just wouldn't work or I would have a relapse but I didn't have anybody there to relate to. I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. And so I would get depressed and, and I'd have weeks where everything was gray and I had no passion. And that was one of the times I'd have to pull out my tools and, and, you know, get myself out and get, you know, cause I always was like, okay, I can be better. I can grow. I can learn more. I could, this is just temporary. This, this point in time is just a point in time. And then I, I will come out of it. And so um, the absolute best thing I ever did was start connecting with people who had MS and then connecting with people who just had chronic disease in general and forming a community around me, a support system of people that understood what this lifestyle, it's a lifestyle, it's an mm -hmm. entire life change, it's an adjustment. Definitely. And the sooner you start understanding that you have to change and, and modify your life, the easier it's going to become for you. And then when you have people there who understand and relate, I mean, Brene Brown says that it's written in our DNA that we need connection with other people. Yes. But that lends to our health, our physical, our mental and emotional health is the connection that we have to other people. And we need to strengthen those bonds through vulnerability and what's more vulnerable than going through medical issues yeah what's more vulnerable than having like things happen to your body that are out of your control and then sharing that with others who understand and so once I allowed myself to connect with people on that level I met my best friend Amy my, my best friend Nabia my best friend Danielle Rana Spartan with Vanessa who has MS I, and now I have thousands of people who follow me with chronic disease who enrich my life as much as I would enrich them. And so I can see all their triumphs. I can help them through their difficult moments because they're there for me when I'm having a tough time too. And so that in itself, like the connection that you have with other people who are going through similar things in your, in your, in your life, like that can help elevate 
your quality of life to a point where it makes it manageable to have MS. That's, it, that's so important. It's so important. You're right with chronic illness to have others there that get you, that yeah. really get you. Right. And then some people go through experiences and they try different meds and you get to see like, oh my God, that worked for you. Oh, yeah. is that like, you know, and so are you finding like companies that actually like they're using that help them with like cooling towels or whatever. And they're like, so you get to be exposed to things that you would never think of on your own mm-hmm. to think that you can apply to your own life. And so I, for me, I feel like what I can give definitely is I can help you learn how to use medicine, uh, mar- uh, marijuana as medicine. I can help you learn how to like move a little bit more and move a little bit better. I can give you some advice on like how to, how to deal with some of these symptoms. When I affect a person in a positive way, what I hope is that my hope is that they take that and then they're able to affect the people around them in a positive way. And so that it becomes this just like web that just spreads and grows and affects more than just the people around me. Yeah. Right. I love that. I love that. That's awesome. I, I still got issues. <laughs> don't, Girl, we don't we all? all? Oh my God. Don't we all? <laughs> don't we all? Like Nicole and I in unison, don't we all? <laughs> For real? <laughs> um, I go to therapy once a week. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's the thing. We're like, form the community, go to therapy. Form the yes. community, go to therapy. That's find, a ther- find a therapist though, like, don't just settle for any therapist. You find nope. somebody that complements exactly what you need and is actually right. adding value to your life because right. not all therapists know, they don't, they don't understand how to, you know, it's unfortunate. There are a lot of healthcare professionals, not even therapists who, who don't understand how to deal with people with chronic disease. It's true. So when we, I came across my therapist this time, my, my most recent one, she is actually, her specialty is chronic illness. And I was oh, so I grateful. I'm like, oh my God, she did it. And <laughs> she's wonderful. So I was very fortunate. That's awesome. Yeah, I love my therapist too. Um, she specializes in trauma because oh, uh, my cool. parents were awful people. Oh no. <laughs> the great thing about my therapist though is that she utilizes EMDR, which is which is very similar to what I do already. So we're doing neurological drills that help reduce threat, which is literally the bilateral stimulation and the um, the eye mm-hmm. movement, mm-hmm. rapid mm-hmm. eye movement. Eye movements. Oh, cool! is what I teach. I teach visual drills, which it's it's the same mechanism. Wow. That's it's amazing. But in EMDR, you're attaching it to trauma that has negative cognition and helping alleviate the trauma response and reduce the emotional flashbacks so that they become manageable. EMDR is so cool. I was reading, I've been reading so much about it and it's fascinating to me. So fascinating. (laughs) It's all about, it's all about how it's so fascinating the way that the brain works and and, in the, how the, how the nervous system works and, and, and at the same time, how it can all just break down on us. At the same time, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna we say, I'm gonna say now. I just want to say now, Suzette. I want to say thank you for coming on the show. I want to end this on a really positive note. I want to say thank you for coming on. I want to say to anyone who's listening, make sure you check out the link in the show notes. Check out Suzette's program. It's phenomenal. Um, I'm going to start using it to be honest. I am too. I, I was just going to say that. <laughs> so one thing that I, one thing that I make sure I let everybody know is take like, do what you can and leave the rest behind. 
there's never opportunity. Take what you can, leave the rest behind. Like if you can't do certain movement, just skip over it. It's fine. Skip it. Skip it. All right. And you guys, um, and we will chat again next week. And you guys have a good week. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Bye, everybody.